0: Hey, everybody, sorry for the three-week absence. Uh, A lot of things going on. Um, uh, one of the things that is going on, uh, though, that you can uh, check out uh, that I have, <laughs> it's my other podcast. Uh, I, I can put that up because it doesn't depend on other people coming to me or people being available for me to come to. Uh, but the other podcast is called Dan and Jay's Comedy Hour. Um, you can find it at uh, StolenDress.com. Uh, I Actually, just go to iTunes. Search for Dan and Jay's Comedy Hour, the podcast. Or you can go to DJCHpodcast.stolenDress.com. It's my best friend, Dan and I. Dan's been on Comedy on Vinyl a few times uh, early on. Uh, It's us catching up for an hour a week. We uh, use uh, one sketch from our early days as quote-unquote sketch comedians when we were 13 um, from old cassette tapes um, that that luckily I still have lying around. We use that as uh, our main talking point and very quickly divert from that and just talk about our life, our stories, um, and, you know, just in general catching up. It's a lot of fun. It's uh, our first uh, quote-unquote fuck-around podcast where there's not really a central theme to it and uh, where I'm allowed to just be an asshole for an hour Um, as opposed to interviewing people like an asshole for an hour. I I get to just joke around. Um, But... Uh, speaking of me interviewing people uh, like an asshole, uh, this episode is Hillary Winston. Um, it's uh, not a vinyl episode per se, but every once in a while you come across somebody who has as much of an interest in a particular artist uh, as as you do. And she picked the Muppets. Uh, Hillary is the showrunner on uh, the Bad Teacher TV show, which premieres uh, tomorrow night. April 24th 2014 um and uh, nine thirty p.m uh eastern time on CBS and we had a lot of fun uh talking about the Muppets and talking about her development as a comedy writer she had some very interesting roots not not the kind you're norm- you're, you're used to hearing about I don't think at least not that I've heard about uh so it's kind of fascinating to me so thanks you guys for listening and enjoy the episode <music> Hey everybody! Thanks for joining us uh, this week. I have a remote by phone. I have Hillary Winston with me. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thanks so much for having me. Of
0: course. So um, uh, as usual, uh, you know, we asked one of we we asked a guest to come up with an album, but uh, as this always happens, sometimes you just have a thing that affected you more. And l- luckily, you picked a thing that I can 100% relate to because I used to want to be a, a puppeteer when I was a kid. You picked the Muppets.
1: Oh yeah, I, I mean I adore the Muppets. Um you know, I just there's something about them. I mean I still I have you know, at FAO Schwartz you can make your own Muppet and I made my own Muppet of myself. I have one too. <laughs> yeah. I, I got one
0: of those for Christmas. I, yeah,
1: it's, like, my my single most, like, prized possession. I think if there was a fire, I might go for that first, if anything else.
0: <laughs> me too. It's my, honestly, my uh, my wife took a video of it, and she got it for me with a bunch of friends pitched in. And I I do not cry at gifts, but I, I bawled my eyes out. Because it like, <laughs> it's just, like, it's this, just this real visceral thing about having a puppet that is, like, just like something you grew up with. It's so ingrained in us.
1: Yeah, and there's just something about the style that Jim Henson created, you know, of what those puppets look like. Oh yeah. And just their I mean, the characteristics are just so amazing, and it just they make me so happy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let's, um, before just to get it out of the way, because I don't, I don't want people to, I don't want to ignore uh, why you're here. You are here to talk about your show, Bad Teacher. Yes. Which which premieres tomorrow night. I will. This episode will go up tonight, so it premieres tomorrow night on CBS yeah. at nine thirty.
1: Yes, April 24th, thirty, eight thirty 30 Central
0: on CBS. But, I mean, you obviously you've got a long list of... Uh, did you get to... Uh, you, I mean, you've written for My Name is Earl, Community, Happy Endings. Did you... were you there at Community during the Muppet episode, the Puppet episode, or no? No, I wasn't.
1: Um, I was there for the first two seasons. The first
0: two seasons. Oh, okay. Um, uh, just... let's. Uh, what was the first... Do you, I mean, do you have... what's your earliest memory of the Muppets?
1: You know, I remember watching the Muppet Show, and uh, you know, I absolutely love the Muppet Show theme song, um, which I played, you know, at my wedding, like to get all the guests to sit down. That's what we played.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> That's awesome. And
1: then I walked down the aisle to um, the Muppets Take Manhattan duet between Miss Piggy and Kermit the Frog. <laughs> that was
0: that was a close a close second. We almost did the same thing.
1: <laughs> really? Yeah. It's um, you know, you'll make me happy. It was. I mean, that song, like, the moment, like, doesn't make me cry thinking about walking down the aisle, but, sure. like, the, like watching it in Muppets at Manhattan makes me cry.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I think that the Muppet show was one of the most amazing things because they could talk about – the Vietnam War, you mm-hmm. know, there was that great sketch where you have the bunnies and the hunters oh, yeah, and right. they're singing, you know, hey, now what's that sound? Everybody looks what's going on. I mean, it, amazing about yeah. the Vietnam War and its puppets, it's you know, brilliant. and just such like edgy, like comedy, um, you know, when you have like the pyromaniac that's always trying to blow everything up, you know, it was like pretty edgy yeah. and, you know, really for adults kind of disguised as a kids' show and i was just uh, you know so impressed with it i think at that time you know i also grew up watching reruns of mash every night oh, okay and, sure and, you know i think the muppets and mash just kind of were able to do something where they talked about politics without exactly talking about it and it was it was really cool and very inspirational
0: that's awesome i think to me do you uh I, I have to assume it was the Muppet theme song. Is this the first Muppet song that sticks out? Or is there something before that? Like, Or, or was it another particular piece?
1: That, I mean, the Muppet, you know, it's time to get things started. Mm-hmm. You know, it's time to light the lights. I mean, just hearing that is just the most amazing, you know, feeling like of just when that was coming on. Um, And then, you know, I also, you know, loved like, uh, you know, Fraggle Rock, of course, when I was Mm -hmm. younger, you know, and like a lot of the Muppet spinoffs, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, you know, one of my favorite specials of all time. I had a, I named my cat Emmett, um, who, (laughs) you know, was like, didn't became kind of my soulmate and was like diabetic (laughs) and I had to give him shots every 12 hours Mm -hmm. and his name was Emmett and I just, you know, loved that. Special, so much.
0: Did you? uh, Did your? Were you? you, I hate to ask this question because it's pretty typical. But was it a comedy? Was it a? Is it? Did you grow up in a funny family? Did they expose you to comedy, or did you have to find it yourself?
1: Um, No, I didn't really grow up in a funny family. My dad is is definitely can like make me laugh Mm -hmm. and stuff, but it's um, you know, they're pretty serious. Um, I was raised in South Texas pretty conservative, you know, you grow up to be a doctor, a lawyer, own a business, and there's really nothing in between, and um, pretty serious, so I think that everybody was a little surprised at where I ended up, (laughs) but... Um, but you know, the, the thing is, is that I, I what I'm so happy for, and I some people would judge them and say they let me watch too much TV, <laughs> but I watch so much TV and I love TV and it really is a passion that's carried through, you know, into my career.
0: Is there ever a point when where you've written something and noticed a particular? Muppet influence? I mean, you write human shows, of course, but was there ever anything you've ever written that's like, oh, wow, I stole that, or that's something that I learned from Jim Henson. Have you ever had a moment like that?
1: I would never dare compare myself to the (laughs) brilliant of the Muppets, but, um, you know, I definitely think about the Muppets and character development, because, Mm -hmm. you know, if you look at, like, Gonzo is a great character, um, who really kind of started off as, like, a side character, and then, you know, people really love Gonzo, and he became more prominent, but, you know, he's in love with a chicken. (laughs) You know, a mm-hmm. chicken that he can't really even tell apart from the other chickens, <laughs> and it's such a great small kind of character thing yeah. that even though Camilla, you know, can't speak to him and can't, you know, that he just has this like this amazing love for her. And you know, you look at characters of you know Fozzie Bear and like him wanting to be a stand-up and not being very good at it, you mm-hmm. know, and and just all these characters having these kind of being these you know, archetypes that you can base more, you know, human characters on but yeah. that are so endearing. You know, Kermit just, you know, the, you know, optimist of all time, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um you know, and Miss Piggy, like, what a flawed character! But then you understood, like, why Kermit loved her. Sure. You know, I mean, and it's just, and you know, he was so kind of reluctant, a reluctant suitor. But then you really saw how much he loved her. I mean, it's just these are great characters. You know, and it seems crazy because you're talking about a pig, you know, and a frog, and <laughs> yeah. and a and a Gonzo, um, whatever he is. But it's just really, you know, they're they're just great, deep characters.
0: You mentioned Kermit obviously ever the optimist but not just that but he's very specifically a guy who wants to get into showbiz and i have to admit for the at least in the muppet movie and muppets take manhattan like i i think i've at least subconsciously used that as like a driving force i I, i get inspired by this felt frog it's and i don't know how that's possible
1: no, I mean, I, I really think it's true. I mean, that's what's so amazing about the Muppets is that, you know, and I think there's something about the design of them what Jim Henson did that is, you know how they say, like, puppies and kittens and stuff, and the reason why they have big eyes and they look the way they do is so that they'll be protected, mm-hmm. that you want to take care of them. There's something about the Muppets and the way they're designed that make you so empathetic. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's really, I mean, I would watch, I would watch a drama Muppet movie, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, for sure. So, you know? I, yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, that was one of the things that I did like, I don't, I don't know how you felt about the newer Muppet movie. I, I haven't seen Muppets Most Wanted, but the the one before it, I thought there were some pretty good, like, kind of uh, heavier moments in it.
1: You know, I, I didn't see the newer Muppet movies mm-hmm. because I was so scared. Of- I
0: completely understand that.
1: Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I collect like I have all these Muppets lunchboxes. Mm-hmm. I mean, old lunchbox. I mean, I just I I love it so much. Mm-hmm. And even though I think Jason Siegel is amazingly talented, stuff, I just was so nervous.
0: Oh no, and I and I get that. And, and you know, there are a couple bits where it, it it's hard because it's. I mean, I I was I was a, a kid who I was so devastated when Jim Henson died, and was so yeah. s- so sad to hear the new Kermit voice. As much again, Steve Whitmire's a genius, and he's a wonderful guy. And he he was he was. Trained by Jim Henson practically to take over for him, but it was—it's always been a little off-putting for me, yeah. you know. So it's hard.
1: Uh, yeah, it definitely is. And you know, um, Jim Henson was born on my birthday, September twenty-fourth, and oh. so when I was growing up, I always felt this special connection to him because I always had like those birthday calendars, you mm-hmm. know, and it would say who was born on your birthday, and I always felt like this special connection to him. And then I mm-hmm. remember when he died. I mean, it just was. It was so sad, you know, and as a kid, to care about, like, the creator of something like that, right. you know, it was, was kind of interesting, because you can understand, like, a kid, like a celebrity or something, you know, registering, but, to, you know, realizing what a genius he was, even at, like, a young age.
0: Yeah, it was a weird time, because I think around the same time, Dr. Seuss also passed away, so it was this very weird death of these creators of innocence.
1: Yeah, and these creators are just something... I mean, talk about something from just nothing. Right. You know? Like, just not not based on anything. I mean, it just... I mean, I don't even... You know, I know I, I hate more than anything when my, like, parents' friends are like, how do you come up with that stuff, you know, but um, I, I kind of still feel like that if I ran into, like, Jim Henson in heaven, I, w- I think I would be the person that was like, how do you come up with that stuff?
0: <laughs> you know, it's actually, uh, I was listening to an interview with Brian Henson recently, and it was interesting to listen to him talk about how Jim Henson started out doing kid stuff just because he had to. He didn't necessarily want to, and that's why he kind of broke out and tried to be as subversive as possible, even if he's still using these sweet characters. Um, it's it's interesting that that sort of, <laughs> that desire to get out of a certain genre and not be pigeonholed made him so incredibly creative. I'm curious if you've ever run into anything like that. I mean, you work in the world of sitcoms, which can be dreadful, but, yeah, you know.
1: Yeah, you know, it's hard. I mean, and I think that, you know, um, Community was one of those shows that, where I think that with circumstances at NBC and stuff, you know, with Dan at the helm, we were able to kind of hijack a network time slot. Right,
2: right. Um,
1: and you know, that that felt really good, you know. Mm-hmm. We we knew sometimes we were doing stuff that the network didn't understand, didn't yeah. get, wasn't on board with. Mm-hmm. And that was really exciting.
2: Yeah.
0: Do you- I, yeah i'm 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 curious what it's like to work on a show like that or on on any show that's so heavily influential. You probably don't realize it at the time. but you must feel a little naughty, like in a great way.
1: Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, and, and I think that you know why, and like you know, fans are you know so uh, I mean, community has like the best fans ever. Um, and why they're so attached to the show is that the fans really kept it on and, you know, NBC could not come up with a reason to cancel the show, you know, like they wanted to cancel the show, couldn't come up with a reason, they didn't have anything better, they didn't have anything that had the kind of fan base, and, you know, they wanted to cancel it, you know, and so it's like a great feeling to feel like You know, that in spite of no matter what they thought, that it was kind of bigger than them. Yeah. And, you know, that was really fun. And the fact that we were free to do something like uh, my Dinner with Andre episode, (laughs) you know. Right. And you're just like, what? (laughs) You're going to do a whole episode parroting this indie movie that is set in a restaurant and is like one scene, you know. Right Uh, that nobody's seen, and then have a big part of the episode be about Cougar Town, another show (laughs) that people don't really know. I mean, with our autistic character, you know, I mean, it just (laughs) is... You know, that's when you start to feel, yeah, like you're kind of doing something pretty crazy, you know, you're the resistance.
0: Yeah, that's so, and you know what's interesting too is uh, if, if you even want to uh, try and draw some kind of a line between a show like The Muppets being subversive, comedic, groundbreaking to a show like Community, I mean, there, there are these interesting parallels in pop culture where, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, the Vietnam sketch with the rabbits earlier, uh, it doesn't obviously at any point directly mentioned Vietnam it obviously uses a song that's famous for having that subtext Um, but you know it's it's very much of its time and then you know you skip ahead 40 years and you've got a show that is by its nature and because of culture heavily self-referential to the point almost of nullifying itself it's just on the edge of being it, it could be obnoxious but it never gets there because it's just like it pushes it constantly you know, yeah. th- there's this, uh, and I, I wouldn't know really where to, how to draw that arc from a show like that. To, but it, I, I don't know how. I maybe I'm, I'm not sure what elements of creative freedom allow you to know that you can write a show like that. I mean, was it just having a showrunner who who pushed it?
1: Yeah, you know, Dan is such a unique person. Um, I mean, that, like, doesn't even say it. Like, that even does not sound, like, right for him. You know, that's, that's too boring for him to even call him a unique person. Um, you know, he's, he's not like anybody I've ever met. And he, the kind of places that he will allow himself to go, kind of in his mind, and creatively, how much he pushes himself and the people around him is really is really exciting,
2: yeah. and I
1: mean, not that it can't be really really annoying. And you know, <laughs> sometimes you just want to go home, and you know, you just want to say like, "This is good enough." And Dan doesn't really have that in him. I don't think he's really ever said something is good enough. Yeah, um, he maybe has said it has to shoot right now, right, <laughs> right. And literally, we have to run pages down to set, but. You know he's never said it's good enough. It's time to go to sleep. You know, mm-hmm. it's good enough. It's time to go to dinner. It's good enough. It's whatever. And that was that was something that I don't think I'll ever experience again, the kind of creativity yeah. of the season one and two of that show.
0: you know um, and, go ahead, sorry.
1: What if it, because you can never recapture that. like season, you know the early seasons of a show of that kind of foundation you know mm-hmm. uh, everything's happening and you're this weird little family and you don't even know exactly what you're creating yet it's just hard to ever go back to that time
0: it's like the first few semesters at college or even yeah. summer camp you yeah know, uh, except you're getting paid to do it and everybody gets to see the results of it
1: um, yeah which is fun because then you're like oh okay so this pain and suffering was worthwhile <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> at least the camp pain and suffering was just worthwhile if you later like wrote a memoir but <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: You know that kind of tirelessness might be uh, of Dan Harmon might be one of the things that you where you could connect that and the Muppets if only because I mean Jim Henson was notorious for working so hard that he basically worked himself to death. You know, it is one of those things where if you've got that kind of commitment behind a show, you know, you're you're you you probably are just plumbing the depths of your person and of your other writers to to get the best possible work. But what's it what's it like for you now being a showrunner on on that teacher.
1: You know, it's um it's it's been really interesting like you know, taking kind of the reins over after you're kind of been on a staff and mm-hmm. um, you may be a leader on that staff but not having to have all the responsibilities, you know, really is different. Mm-hmm. And no matter what you think, you know, how you think it's going to be like or how you think you're going to be, um, it just, you know, you really can't imagine what it's like until you're there and you know, I had the benefit of having somebody like Dan uh, who really was not bound by anything. Um I you know, the first show that I worked on, Primetime sitcom my name is Earl. Greg Garcia is an amazing showrunner, mm-hmm. and complete opposite of Dan Harmon. So, to be able to, and he runs the Millers now, which was next door to Bad Teacher, and I'd be able to go over to him and ask him advice, and to have somebody so different than Dan and have the two of them to compare, mm-hmm. and then have had um, David Kaf and Jonathan Groff on Happy Endings, who are also very normal, mm-hmm. you know, and um, <laughs> uh, very, very in the middle of these two kind of extremes, you know, was really was really great to be able to draw from that, because, you know, Greg had a very, very happy crew, cast, staff you know, Mm -hmm. and he was able to get great work out of people um, with very different motivators, you know, but Dan also made you feel like you were a part of something that was so special that it was worth any sort of pain, suffering. That
2: happen. Yeah,
0: I, th- that, that's got to be the hardest part, though. I, I would imagine being that rallying force when you're used to just being a creative, maybe who's told what to do or sent off to go write something by yourself or with someone, but then to now have to be the rallying force who gets other people to do that for
2: the show.
1: Yeah. And I think that, you know, I I would try to a lot of times lead by example. I never asked anybody to do anything that I wasn't willing to do.
2: Okay, sure. It,
1: you know, and you know, and so I tried, you know, I tried to do that, but it really it really is difficult. It really is, you know, finding that line of how do you have people be happy and then how do you you know, feel like you didn't leave anything right. on the field, you know?
0: Sure. I'm I'm curious, uh, you know, again, since your career has at least primarily been uh, sitcom-based, did you ever, as a kid, did you ever write sketches or anything after watching The Muppet Show? I mean, did that ever inspire you to do anything like it at all, or no?
1: Uh, no, you know, I, I don't think that I thought of myself like that. I just, I think growing up where I grew up, you know, I wanted to, you know, become a lawyer and go mm-hmm. into politics and do something serious, and... Um I never really thought that, that was an option for me sure. until I got into college and um it was funny I was an orientation leader at George Washington University um, and one of my good friends that summer who was an orientation leader with me was Carrie Washington oh. the star of scandal mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um and so we were good friends and she said you know we were doing these sketches together that were like bad, you know, how to be a bad roommate, ah, right. you know, all kinds of things that you perform <laughs> for incoming freshmen. And we were in a sketch together where I was a bad roommate. And she was like, you know, I think you're really funny. And there's this improv sketch group on campus called Recess, and I really think you should audition. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, I'm not interested in that. I was like interning at the White House, and I was like, wow. I'm, I'm into this other stuff. And she was like, I really think you should do it. And she was serious me. she was like, yeah. I'm telling you, I think that you're good at this. And so I auditioned for this group, and it kind of changed my life. So I've talked to her about it since, but it's just funny that, like now it's like Carrie Washington, <laughs> you know is responsible for my comedy career.
0: You know, it's, it's crazy because I, I, you hear a lot of stories about people who are sort of satellites to the to the comedy industry or in industries that are satellite industries. Uh, people who are, you know, uh, brilliant writers, brilliant comedians who weren't considering it, but I've, I don't think I've ever heard the story I was interning at the White House, and, and <laughs> then, you know, it just kind of blows my mind that you just wouldn't think of it, but you obviously were pulling pulling from something you didn't know was there, but I, I have to wonder if, if you... If, was it kind of Was it was it a release for you at that point Was it one of those things where you did have were, I mean you're young you're in your early 20's You're in college were you pulling from stress Or was it just the thing you were just doing You were just doing because you had to be funny
1: You know I was just You know I was just kind of doing this thing Where I was like this is a hobby I'll get out of my system I mean mm-hmm. I, I was you know I think I was a little bit Precocious you know sure. and You know I wore a trench coat and like suits And walked to the White House like every day At like 18 years old you know uh-huh. so yeah. it, You know I think that I was reluctantly kind of good at comedy sketch writing improv and I had a playwriting teacher who also told me when I was going to take the LSAT and everything, going to law school, she was like, I really think that you should become a writer. Yeah. And she was like, there's tons of students that wish that I would tell them they should become writers right. and you should listen to me. But I really resisted it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, not that I'm some sort of hero for, like you know, <laughs> deciding, oh, okay, to become a writer. But I just, you know, I kind of saw myself as a more serious person. Yeah. And... Um, And so it was hard for me to acknowledge that I maybe wanted this thing and wanted to try for it. And, you know, it's it's very scary to like move out to L.A. and say, okay, I'm going to try my hand at this when everybody you meet is doing that. And for you to, on some level, look around at everybody and think I'm better than these people, because if you don't think that, you know, you wouldn't be there.
0: Right, right. Do you uh, was comedy for you uh, at that point, you know, when you're just sort of being told that this is this might be the thing you should try? uh, Was comedy a social thing for you? Because, again, you didn't grow up with much of it, except you did get to watch a lot of TV. Did you I mean, did you share did you watch any shows with anybody that helped you sort of develop your sense of humor? Uh, And did you make friends over comedy or was that not a thing?
1: Yeah, it was definitely a social thing, so um, a lot of my friends, one of my good friends who was in my comedy group was also a writer on Bad Teacher, um, Mm -hmm. Matt Flanagan, and, you know, I have a couple of other good friends that it was just, yeah, it was just like this kind of fun thing we were doing, and you know, we did a show every um, Friday night at midnight, and so we rehearsed from 10 to midnight every day. And, you know, I was with a group of people who really took it so seriously. Mm -hmm. And it was... I worked harder at that than I did on any of my classes, for sure. Sure. (laughs) And the discipline of writing sketches and week after week, and we'd go to Chicago, and we'd go to improv workshops, and we'd do all of this kind of stuff, and we took ourselves so seriously, Um, but it was great, it was a great training, you know, it's kind of like that Malcolm Gladwell book where it's like 10,000 hours, you know, Mm -hmm. you start kind of putting in those hours without realizing you're doing it.
2: Right,
0: yeah. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about the show so that we don't skip, skip over that, a little bit about Bad Teacher?
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, um, you know, bad teacher. It was interesting going from working on shows like Community and Happy Endings, which were kind of critical darlings right. um, and not commercial successes, to working on CBS, which is the highest-rated network, which is you know doesn't even come close to the other networks. Yeah. And also has the you know the biggest hit comedies, but for a very mainstream audience. You sure. know, it was just it, you know it's a very different kind of experience. But I was super, you know, to me, growing up with network TV and the passion that I felt about these characters coming into my life every week um, for so many episodes, you know. At that time, I think they did even more episodes. You know, it was probably like right. 28 episodes yeah. a season, you know, yeah. 30 episodes a season. Um, and I just you know, it meant so much to me, and I think that there's so much talk now about network TV comedy, and even the dramas are really struggling, just being dead. Mm-hmm. And I really felt like I want I want to be a part of bringing back to network TV what it used to mean to me. Yeah. And so it's you know it's hard though. You've got to find you know a world that you want to be writing in. Sure. You know. Sure. You've got to find you know the kinds of actors that you feel like have you know, legs for, like, a seven-season type of show. Sure. And, you know, and it's tough, but when Lee Eisenberg and Gene Simnitsky, who wrote the movie Bad Teacher, um, they're good friends of mine, and they mentioned that they were thinking about making it a TV show. And I started thinking about it, and I had lots of opinions on how they should do it. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so so many opinions that they finally just were like, do you want to do it? (laughs) Um, And I was like, yeah, but I was like, I think you have to, I think you just take the concept and maybe some of the archetypes, and you throw out, the kind of, you know, their backstories and kind of start over and, like, let's build a world from scratch. And then I really wanted to kind of build the type of world where you have this great kind of brazen character that comes in and instigates change in the lives of all the people around her, and Mm -hmm. then you kind of turn the show into a great ensemble. Yeah. You know. And like some like a show like that I watched in a reread stuff I was a kid like WKRP in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. You know, what a great workplace comedy. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I really felt like I wanted to get into this world kind of with this edgy fun character who in most shows would not be the lead. Sure. You know, the bad sexy teacher would be, you know, Lonnie Anderson, you yeah. know, like Yeah. WKRP. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: yeah. And you would have a straight man who would kind of be the lead your way into the show, which Mm -hmm. makes the show a little bit different. But, you know, to me, it was just like trying to get back to, like, what makes network TV great, what makes it accessible, but what makes it still fun and feel relevant to where we're at now in Mm -hmm. comedy and TV.
0: Well, it's nice to be able to find your own voice using, especially when you've got strong source material, successful source material to work off of. It's nice, obviously, that you're given a chance, like you said, to sort of throw a lot of it out put and, and put your own ideas into it. Uh, I, I wonder, though, do you think uh, the success of uh, a lot of TV drama and a lot of uh, the, this prevalence of the anti-hero and now anti-heroine, uh, has that helped you be helped make this character acceptable to uh, the people who are viewing the show before it goes on air? I mean...
1: You know, I, I hope so because, you know, the thing that you're constantly struggling against in community with problem too is when you have a lead who is a little bit unlikable, mm-hmm. you know, who's hard to motivate uh, because they're only motivated by a few things, It can make it really tricky, and if the audience is not, you know, it hasn't been a little bit primed, maybe for those kinds of characters, Mm -hmm. it makes it harder. Um, But I think that they have been primed, and so you can get on board, and that's why you can have a show where the lead is a bad hot teacher instead of the side (laughs) character that gets, you know, two great scene blows an episode.
0: Right? Do you you, know? I and I, I. I I find that bringing this subject up can uh, often seem sort of trite but do you feel any pressure having to write a strong female lead obviously you're the person to do it it shouldn't it shouldn't be a bunch of dudes in a writing room doing this <laughs> but it's it's still not as common as it ought to be I mean is there any pressure on you
1: Um you know I never really thought of it you know like that I mean I'm really proud to um uh, be ma- be a female you know, showrunner and comedy mm-hmm. and to be writing a show then also as a female lead. You know, yeah. I'm really proud of that. It's really not lost on me, but I think that, um, you know, it's not necessarily something that I thought about in particular other than, you know, I think that um, what audiences will let a man do mm-hmm. um, as a character and let a woman do are totally different. I mean, if you look right. at, like, Cal- Californication, oh, yeah. I mean, if that was a woman. Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: like people would be like like you know tearing their like, their clothes off in the street demanding like showtime like take off the yep. air you no, 100%, know
2: 100% <laughs>
1: 100% I mean it's just like the stuff he does is just like insane <laughs> and um so you know that that's definitely you know a factor and would be frustrating because there would definitely be story ideas and stuff where we felt like if this was a male lead we'd be able to get away with it
0: yeah yeah uh but at the very least, we got to grow up watching a show where sex wasn't really an issue. it was just whether or not you were a pig or a frog, you know
1: yeah, exactly <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know all you were thinking about were i mean that that might be one thing that is uh that is if not blinded us to those politics as writers I mean it, it's different for me I'm a guy, I'm a white guy, and I'm fully aware that that's completely different for me, but you know we did there is a shared experience of uh, a certain generation uh that we're a part of and and it is things like the muppets where you know there's these very humanized characters that don't have all the same trappings they've got similar trappings i mean you know kermit gets to be green and that can be that can be symbolic of whatever you like
1: yeah. uh
0: you know uh so i don't you know and, and people can be dismissive of, of how much people love the muppets but it, it's nice to hear that somebody who's in charge of a of, of a big tv show is uh just as in love with that world as as other people are
1: I mean, I mean to me, it's just like it's untouchable, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it really is.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it's it's always been very holy to me. I, uh, I, I, this has been very cool to have you here, and uh, you're the first person I've had on, the second person, pardon me, on the podcast who's who has a whatnot. I'm I'm meeting them more and more. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's we're we're a small community, but uh, but yours looks like you too, right?
1: Yes, uh-huh, of course. I <laughs> mean, it looks awesome. a little, little more like when I got it a couple years ago when uh-huh. it first came out. But <laughs> now I'm, now I'm six months pregnant, so <laughs> I that's... need, a, I need a new Muppet.
0: <laughs> yes, you do, and a small one to go with it. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's, exactly.
0: That's awesome. Uh, well, honestly, thank you so much for doing, for coming on. I know you don't have a whole lot of time, but uh, so again, the show does premiere tomorrow, April twenty fourth on CBS at nine thirty p.m. Correct. Yes, 8.30 Central. 8.30 Central. Hillary, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This
0: This has been a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, super fun.
0: Thank you guys for listening, and as always, have a good thing.